I cannot tell you how many times I've heard that song. <laughs> My children may or may not like it. <laughs> the music you have just heard is a contemporary children's classic known as What Does the Fox Say? It's worth a listen in its entirety. It's pretty amazing. <laughs> it plays off the idea that common English has no word for the noise that a fox makes, right? It is both ridiculous and awesome. Um, and I, I do love the, the, this notion, this living into the mystery. It's got, it's got some fun aspects to it. Uh, and it is fun just thinking about what it is, what noises we assign to different animals. If you ever have, want to have fun with your international friends, ask them what noise a rooster makes. There's some amazing ones out there and some very, very long, ornate uh, things. But I digress. <laughs> what Does a Fox Say plays on one of the oldest traditions in all of humanity, anthropomorphizing animals, having animals do things that humans do for the sake of a story. This tradition stretches all the way from Gilgamesh and Sophocles to David Sedaris. Have you guys read that? Squirrel Seeks Chipmunk? It's pretty wild. Um, perhaps the most famous of these animal stories in all history are Aesop's fables, right? These pithy tales involve animals of different sorts interacting, usually with a declarative moral statement attached to the end, just to make you, know, make you sure you know what happened <laughs> in that process there. Among the most well-known of Aesop's fables is the story of the fox and the rooster. It goes like this. One morning, a rooster flew up in a tree. It got up in the tree, and it crowed, and then a fox appeared. And the fox said to the rooster, Have you heard? There was a meeting of all the animals. We have agreed to live in peace. Come on down and share this moment with me. The rooster does not respond to what the fox says. He only gazes off into the distance. And the rooster says, what are you looking at? I mean, the fox says, what are you looking at? And the rooster says, the dogs are coming. They will want to hear your good news and share this, this moment with you. <laughs> at which the fox runs away. <clears throat> Telling stories through animals is a fantastic literary device. Animals allow us to understand fundam fundamental truths about being human. Of course, we know that the Bible gets in on this game, too. There is, of course, the, the snake, the serpent in Genesis, likely hand, a hand-me-down from the Gilgamesh epic. There's also Balaam's talking donkey in Numbers, kind of a wild moment. If you guys have not checked that out, I want to dive into that. Um, and even Jesus uses animal metaphors. He talks about being wise as serpents and innocent as doves. I think that one might be appropriate for St. Patrick's Day. <laughs> uh, today, 
Herod, the fox, tries to trap Jesus, who is depicted as a mother hen. I love, I love this analogy. It is so great. Jesus as mother, we're going to come back to that analogy. More on that in a second. Like the rooster in Aesop's tale, Jesus avoids the trap set by Herod the fox. But Jesus knows that this is not the end. He knows that his fate awaits him in Jerusalem. Notice here again, like last week, we have foreshadowing of Jesus' work in Jerusalem. In Luke's gospel, Jerusalem is is central. It's a character of its own. Is personified much like the animals we have described in those other stories, right? Jerusalem is the site in the Hebrew Bible where the promise is fulfilled, the place where God is present with the people, a place where David establishes a porthole, portal to the divine. Jerusalem becomes the nexus between heaven and earth. It is in Jerusalem that the Ark of the Covenant rests. Jerusalem is later personified by the prophets as symbolic of humanity's rejection of God and the symptom bearer during the Babylonian exile. Drawing from all of that history, Luke makes Jerusalem the center of the Luke-Acts narrative. Jesus starts in the countryside, and then in Luke 9, Jesus physically turns his face toward Jerusalem. That is the language that Luke uses. And then the narrative builds and builds, always moving in action toward Jerusalem until finally Jesus is killed and resurrected in Jerusalem. Then in Acts, Jerusalem is the place where the disciples receive the Holy Spirit and all of their works disseminate from Jerusalem. Everything comes in and out of Jerusalem. Yes, In this passage, Jesus voices frustration with Jerusalem, right? He calls it the city that kills prophets and stones those who are sent to it. But Luke's narrative is not a rejection of Jerusalem or or of Judaism. It is not a rejection, but a redemption. How often have I desired to gather your children together as a hen gathers her brood under her wings? It's beautiful. Jesus as mother hen gathering all her chicks Together, It is a powerful metaphor. Jesus as mother, Jesus as feminine, Jesus as uniting force of love. This is the good news. It always was and always will be a revelation of who Jesus is, of who Christ is, of who God is. God is who loves us all and longs to gather us into the fullness of love. It is a metaphor of protection. It is a metaphor of relationship. It is siblings together, all gathered together, connecting together under the wing 
of Christ. It is also a sad reminder. A reminder that the mother Christ is always shielding us from danger. A reminder that there will always be people who attack mothers and their children. Mothers seeking peace for their children. As I thought about this, uh, this passage, a lot of mothers came to mind and a lot of children came to mind. But I couldn't help think of the news of the shootings in the two mosques in Christchurch in New Zealand that killed 50 children of God. It conjured memories of other mass shootings like Columbine, like all school shootings, and just so brutal to think that all these are children of God, children of a mother somewhere. As the fox in the story reminds us, it is hard to know where our safety lies. What are the signs of safety? What is the symbol of our mother hen? The cross, a Roman instrument of capital punishment and public shame. The cross is a reminder it is not just Jerusalem that kills. Jerusalem kills Jesus, Rome kills Jesus, Washington kills Jesus, L.A., New York, London, Dubai, Christchurch, even Isla Vista attacks the mother hen. As the body of Christ, we, the church, have a responsibility to gather God's children together, to seek the goodness of our neighbors, to respect the dignity of every child of God. This week uh, in the New York Times, I read an excerpt of, uh, of a book by Arthur Brooks called Love Your Enemies. Did you guys catch this little article? It's, uh, the book is called Love Your, Love Your Enemies, How Decent People Can Save America from the Culture of Contempt. He talks about that the, 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 what's dividing so many of us is that we refuse to, to accept the goodness of folks that think differently than us, that we treat them with contempt. It keeps us from being able to love our enemies. Now, that love of enemies, we know that that is very hard work. And we know it can be a little scary. It's like like looking down at that fox at the tree trunk. But that is the work of the mother hen, to gather the children of God no matter what the cost. To know that we are enough that we can endure the work ahead of us, to trust that God is enough. And when we think of the challenge that it's too great, that loving will exhaust us, and we have to return to the source, to that fountain of enough. To God who responds to Abram in the face of infertility despite God's promise, God brings that voice of enough, say, try to count the stars if you can. 
if you can. That is the God of abundance. That is the fountain of enough. It reminds me of another of Aesop's fables. It's the fable of the crow with the pitcher. It goes like this. Long ago, there was a drought. A crow flew over the countryside for days looking for water. Finally, she found a pitcher of water, but when she put her beak inside to drink, she could not reach down to the water. She collapsed, certain that she would die of thirst. But suddenly, she had an idea. She took a pebble in her beak and dropped it into the water. She did that over and over and over again. And eventually, the water was high enough for her to drink. The world can be a very dry place. But it is also full of pebbles. They are the pebbles of enough. Amen.